Last week, Pastor Ra delivered a great message with regard to this character named Gideon out of Judges chapter 6. Today, we're simply going to be doing a part two to that. And there was some really strong application from the sermon last Sunday. It challenged me in ways that I needed to be challenged within. Today, we're doing simply a part two to that. And we're going to be in Judges chapter 6, verses 11 to 16. If you have your Bibles, you can open those to Judges chapter 6, verse 11 to 16. The scriptures will be uh, behind me, so you, you can follow along as well. And we want to make sure that, again, if you have your phone, if you have your Bible, I encourage everyone here this morning, the Bible is a beautiful thing because as you open it, you can mark through it. You can use your notes to also take marks with regard to the application as well. So before we get into uh, the sermon today, let me, let, me, let me open up in a word of prayer this morning. Lord, I thank you for your people. God, I thank you that we have a place here where we can gather, where we can meet, where we can read your word. Lord, your word is alive. And Jesus, we are desperate. We are so desperate this morning to continue to be conformed more and more and more into your image. I thank you for what's happening 20 yards to my right as our children are learning more about you. What's happening in the bus, what's happening across the way in the gymnasium. I thank you, Father, for what you're doing in and through the work of sanctuary, what you're doing in and through the work of your church. Lord, we ask and pray as we read your word this morning that you would imprint it, imprint it upon our hearts, that we would be changed. Lord, we thank you for this time. We bless you, Christ, and we do this for your glory. In your mighty, precious, precious name, Jesus. Amen. So some context. As we open up, you don't need to go there with me, but I'll give you just a brief introduction as, with regard to what's happening leading up to Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 2 speaks about the spiritual condition of the nation of Israel leading up to the, Josh, the death of Joshua and even leading up to the point of after the death of Joshua. This is important because it builds a framework for us. It builds a contextual framework so that we can better understand what's happening in our story today. Well, chapter 2, verse 7, Judges chapter 2, verse 7 reads, So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. Then Judges chapter 2, verse 10 reads that when all the generation had been gathered to their fathers, which means that they had passed away, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord, nor the works which he had done for Israel. This is the pivot point, church. This is the moment where we see a major shift in the trajectory of the nation of Israel. And it all happened primarily within this one generation. There had been compromise. Things had been happening within the nation, but the Bible says that another generation arose, and that specific generation did not know the things which the Lord had done, and this is a big transition for us as we go through. We're going to be going back to Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 1, as we go through, again, some some parallels, important parallels between Deuteronomy as Moses is giving an appeal to the nation of Israel. He's making an appeal to the nation of Israel as he's saying, speaking as, uh, as a prophet, one who speaks on behalf of the Lord, as he's imploring the nation in chapter 11, verse 1, he says, therefore, you shall love the Lord your God, keep his charges, his statutes, his judgments, and his commandments. And don't miss this. 
As you go through Deuteronomy chapter 11, he gets even more specific and says, you are to teach these things to your children that they would know the things which the Lord has done for you in delivering the mighty nation of Israel out of the nation of Egypt, but that they would also know how the Lord disciplined the nation of Israel in the wilderness wandering period. The nations after them would not know without the teaching of the parents, without the teaching of the generations that came before them. Parents and grandparents, this is so applicable to you and to me today. The generations that are following us, our grandbabies, our children, we are mandated according to scripture. We are commissioned, we are tasked with teaching our babies about who God is, who Jesus Christ is, and what he has done by going to the cross for our sin. It's important that we don't lose sight of that. It's so important that we teach them so that they would not forget. As we do this, what happens is we read God's word to our babies, to our children, something happens. I saw the young lady up here in the front, the little girl worshiping, and it brought tears to my eyes. It's precious. What's happening is as we read God's word, as we teach our children, there's something that takes place within their little hearts. Their affections begin to grow more and more towards the person of Jesus Christ. And as the Holy Spirit ministers to our babies, to our children, they have a passion. They have a desire to follow after the things of God and not to have any other room in their lives for anyone except Christ. This is a reality. When I think about our daughter, she's four, she's going on five. I tell my daughter she's four going on 14, but she's four going on five right now. What happens is our daughter at nighttime, we get her little PJs on after her bath every night, and she leads, she leads a little short prayer. And she bows her little head and she puts her arms around us, you know, and she says, Jesus, thank you for going to the cross to die for my sin. Where does Maylee learn that? Where do our kids learn that? Our kids learn that from what's happening in Miss Jen's class, 20 yards to my right. Our children hear that from grandma and grandpa as they're reading the storybook Bible, as we're teaching our children. It happens, church family, with what's taking place in our homes. And it's so important as we see what's happening in the world today, as we see the culture flipped upside down, literally, as we equip our children, as we teach our children, as we instruct our children in the ways of the Lord, as Paul would say in in Ephesus, uh, to the church of Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 6, We are commissioned to do this, and it's so important. It only took one generation for the trajectory of that nation of Israel to shift entirely, and there was a gap. What's at stake for us today? What's at stake for us and our children today? Everything, just as it was for the nation of Israel then. We'll continue on. We're going to be in Deuteronomy, uh, Judges chapter 1. This segment is, again, part of the introduction. I know it's a bit lengthy, but bear with me. This is building up what we're unpacking today. Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 16 to 18. There was a commandment given by God, and Moses would speak this commandment to the nation. And he says, The cities of the people which the Lord your God shall give to you as inheritance, you shall let nothing that breathes remain alive within it. They were to utterly destroy the pagan nations within the land of Canaan. Someone hear this and say, wow, 
That's a bit brutal. But bear with me as we go through the application. They were to utterly destroy the Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Jebusite, just as the Lord their God had commanded them. And this is it. Lest they teach you to do according to all their abominations, which they have done for their gods, and you sin against the Lord your God. There it is. That is why the nation was called and was instructed and commanded by God through Moses to eradicate and eliminate those pagan nations. But what happens? Instead of following the instruction given to them by the Lord, they coexist. They live shoulder to shoulder with this nation. Uh Uh-oh. So now we see a cycle that begins. And what happens is we see a cycle that continues over and over and over again. And the cycle looks like this. The nation of Israel was disobedient. They would sin against the Lord their God. The Lord would instruct them. He He would judge them. He would discipline them. And then the nation would cry out unto God and God would raise up a deliverer. He would raise up someone to lead the nation of Israel. He would raise up a judge. He would raise up a deliverer. We think of a judge today as the guy, the scary guy at the, at, the, at the podium with a gavel in his hand and a long black robe. These judges, when we read through it, they are mighty men and women, deliverers that God would raise up empowered by the Spirit of God to do the work in delivering the nations from the hands of their oppressors. Lastly, before we dive into our, our text today, there is an indictment that is given to the nation of Israel. There's a rebuke that's given to the nation of Israel in Judges chapter 2. Israel is rebuked for being disobedient. They're rebuked for their sin against God. In Judges chapter 2, verse 1 through 3, lays out the indictment. I'll read it aloud and then we'll continue on. The angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochim and said, I led you up from Egypt and brought you to the land which I swore to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall tear down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Therefore, I also said, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall be thorns in your side. This is the indictment. And now we see our character, Gideon, who comes into the picture. And I'll ask if, you, if we can all do this. This is a privilege that we have to do together as a church family. If you don't mind rising, if you're able to rise to your feet, as we read through the scripture together, I'm going to read the odd verses. If you can read the even verses, I'll start in verse 11. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Abizrite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. Gideon said to him, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. So he said to him, Oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. So verse 11, this is where we kick off. This is where we dive into the text. Verse 11 opens up with this character, a unique character. His name's Gideon. Gideon's hiding out in the wine press, threshing his wheat. Pastor Rod spoke on this last week, and what a unique thing that, what what a unique situation that would look like. 
Gideon's in a wine press. Normally this would take place on the hilltops. As he's using a winnowing fork to throw his wheat into the air, the chaff separates from the wheat, the wheat falls to the ground. Why was this happening? The Israelites were absolutely terrified. They were mortified about what was happening within their nation. For seven years, they had been oppressed. They were being terrorized. They were being oppressed by the nation because this was a self-inflicted circumstance. They had sinned against the Lord their God. And they are in a cycle now of discipline, a cycle of correction, a cycle of God's judgment being exercised upon the nation. This band of foreigners, they would raid the livestock, they would raid the land, they would leave a warpath in their area. Have you guys ever seen the old Wild West movies? When the posse comes rolling into town and you see the big dust cloud behind and you see the old black and white, you see the whites of their eyes and they're shutting the saloon doors and the general store doors and the boot barn doors. This is what it would have looked like, but it was so much more dire than that. These people are hiding in caves. Gideon's harvesting his crop and the people are absolutely terrified. Verse 12 through 13, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about? Saying, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. How does the Lord address? Well, the angel of the Lord, we we have come to agreement that this is a theophany. It's the the Old Testament appearance of Christ in, in, in bodily form before his incarnation. But what's incredible about this is how is how is the Lord greeting Gideon? Some would say maybe there's a hint of sarcasm. Maybe it's prophetic in nature. I will go with the latter of the two. And this is why. God would use this man to deliver a nation from its oppressors. A mighty man of valor. You look at the moment in time where Gideon's in right now, nothing mighty, nothing nothing heroic going on. But God does the impossible with an unqualified person. He does the impossible with us. What's important to think about is this. The Lord's greeting is prophetic in nature, and Gideon is going to lead the nation of Israel. But how does Gideon respond? Does Gideon say, Lord, I'm in. I'm going to go. I'm, I'm going to go where you want me to go. Gideon begins debating. He begins questioning the plan of God. One of the things I look at in my own life, and I have been guilty of this throughout my life as a Christ follower for decades, It's an issue of surrendering. It's an issue of the Lord being allowed to use a broken, weak vessel because we try to do it in the power of our own flesh. We try to muster up the strength from within. We go to seminars about it, how to to do it our way, how to live our best life now, how we can muster up and pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. I mean, after all, a part of that is ingrained in us as Americans. But something is incredible to think about is Gideon is questioning the Lord through this series of questions. Why has all this happened? Where are the Lord's miracles? We have been forsaken. Gideon is failing to see something so important. The nation is being judged because of their disobedience. Either Gideon did not know the blessings or the curses spoken of by Moses before the the nation would enter into the promised land, when they were residing on the east side of the Jordan River, 
or they forgot about the same promises, the blessings and the curses that were spoken by Joshua to the nation of Israel after they defeated their enemies. The question is, where is God? I think that could be summed up by Gideon's question, where is God? I had a, a conversation with a friend about three weeks ago after Easter Sunday service. We were commuting from, uh, from Hope City, and he was frustrated. He was angry about the things that he sees happening in the world today, specifically in America today. He says, Garrett, explain this to me. Where is God? Where is God in the midst of the suffering? Where is God in the midst of the, the demonic war that's being waged against our children? Where is God in the midst of the hurt, in the midst of the suffering, in the midst of all of this? That's a loaded question. And it took some time to unpack, and I still want to do a part two with him on this. But gathering my thoughts and gathering what I wanted to, how I responded to him that way, I believe that we have what we need here. It's important to remember this. All nations and all people are accountable unto God. All nations, all people. The nation of Israel was different. They were a people set apart by God. A covenant was established with, between them and God. They were sanctified by God. But God still judged other nations. You read that in the Old Testament. No nation is exempt from being accountable unto God. And all throughout the Old Testament, you see this happening. In America today, what's happening is we are seeing the consequences of what it looks like when a nation rages against God. We are seeing the consequences of what it looks like when a nation not only sins against a holy God, but continues to push the limit Day after day after day after day, we are seeing the consequence of that corporately as a nation here in America. We are reaping what has been sown right now. One of the things that's important to look at in application to this is what Romans 1 says. Romans 1 says, three separate times, on three separate occasions, that God would give over a people to their debased minds God would give over a people to their lustful ambitions. God would give over a people to their uncleanness. And it's also important to remember, I think about it this way, you think about jurisdiction. Ephesians chapter 2 refers to Satan as the prince of the power of the air. Also referring to Satan in, first, in John chapter 12 verse 31, states that Satan is the ruler of this world. Do you guys remember what happens when Jesus was tested by Lucifer, by Satan in the wilderness when he was fasting? And he tempts Jesus. All these nations, all these kingdoms, I will give to you because they have been given to me. What's important to remember is that we as Christ followers, we really are behind enemy lines. It's a truth and we have to accept that. As a church and as a bride of Christ, it's also important to remember there's good news in this. That he who is greater, he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. It's important that we do not lose sight of that church as we see what's happening in the culture today, as we see what's happening today, as we are reaping what we have sown as a nation that was founded on Judeo-Christian principles, Judeo-Christian values. Gideon closes verse 13 by stating, 
He has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. There's something backwards here. God had not forsaken his people. God had not initiated this. The people had forsaken the Lord their God. God was responding to the breaking of a covenant that had taken place with the nation of Israel. This is a response to that. In verse 14 and 15, we'll continue. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, Oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in all of Manasseh. I'm the least in my father's house. Notice this. The the angel of the Lord does not debate Gideon. He doesn't say, all right, Gideon, bring it on. Let's go. Like, you guys remember Jacob, the wrestling match that took place that went down? That doesn't happen. The Lord just reaffirms him and says, Gideon, I've commissioned you. Go. And I'm with you. I will help you. The angel of the Lord says, have I not sent you? Gideon would not be going in his own strength, in his own flesh, in his own might. He would be going empowered and commissioned by the Lord. But once again, the question of the Lord's plan, he's questioning the Lord's plan as he says, well, I'm the weakest of all the tribes of Manasseh. Gideon failed to see something, church, that you and I can fail to see. And the speaker, I'm highlighting myself when I say this. Why is it that God would use the dude hiding out in a wine press, the guy hiding out in a wine press to thresh his wheat? He wasn't qualified according to human standards. He didn't have the resume of Joshua, the mighty military general. But it's important to remember this. Joshua had humble beginnings, didn't he? As a slave in Egypt. And God would raise that man up to do his work. He was not qualified, but God would use him in a mighty way. On March 19th, I came to the church to teach. And I remember Friday afternoon, I came home from work and I felt awful. I had a headache, body aches. I think everyone knows what that feels like when it goes from the top of your neck to the bottom of your feet and you just feel achy. I, had, uh, I wasn't sleeping well. Saturday, I woke up and I was feeling worse. And I kept thinking to myself, Lord, I have the privilege of teaching on Sunday morning and I feel absolutely lousy right now. So I'm, 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 I call it uh, loading on my vitamin C. I'm drinking water. I'm trying to get as much rest as I can while studying. Sunday morning, what happens? I wake up feeling worse. And some people would ask me this question. Well, Garrett, coming to church on Sunday to teach God's people, that's not what it looks like to love your neighbor. But I came and I did my best to keep my distance for everyone, everyone's sake. But what happens is when I came to church on Sunday, before I, before I got here, I woke up at 4.30 in the morning and I'm walking around downstairs and I remember feeling so spun out, dizzy. I felt like I had vertigo. I was having a hard time even reading in the morning. And I got on my knees and with tears in my eyes, I said, Lord, I am so weak. I am weak. And the only way that I can do what you have called me to do is through the empowerment of your Holy Spirit. I cannot do this in my own strength. I cannot do what you've called me to do and to teach what you've called me to teach in my own strength. Lord, the only thing that will help me this morning is your spirit. And I pray, Lord, that you would give me what I need to do what you've called me to do. So I get in my truck in the driveway and I open my Bible before I come over and I read out of 2 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 9 and 10. 
Paul is speaking to the church of Corinth. And he's reminding them of what's happened to him. There was a thorn given to Paul. There was a thorn given to Paul. And what happens is Paul says specifically, this thorn was given to him so that he would not become conceited. He would not become puffed up with regard to the revelation that had been given to him as to whether he was in body or out of body, caught up in heaven, where he heard of things that are completely inexplicable, things that were not lawful for him to repeat. And there is a beautiful dialogue that takes place between God Almighty and Paul. The Lord says, Paul says to the Lord, if, Lord, remove this thorn from my flesh, an appeal made multiple times in scripture. How does the Lord respond to that? The Lord says, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. And my strength is made perfect in your weakness. How does Paul respond? I think everyone in this room has been at there at some time, sometime before, maybe even this week. Lord, I am weak. And church, weakness is a gift. The culture will not tell you that. Weakness is a gift. Because it's in our own weakness that God's strength is made manifest in and through us. And that God does a work in the life of the person who cannot do it on their own your own flesh, your own strength, your own efforts, your own energy produced from this wicked sin nature within us called our flesh will not do it. We cannot do it. If we do it, we're doing it in our in carnality. We're doing it out of, our own, out of our own strength. And so what's happened in this moment in time, Paul responds now. And how does he respond He says, therefore, therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. I take pleasure in reproaches. I take pleasure in distress. I take pleasure for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Church, that is a beautiful, beautiful reminder for every single person in this room today. Weakness is a gift. God uses the weak man. God will use the weak woman. Because in using the weak men, in using the weak woman, and if anyone is offended this morning, I'm being honest with you this morning. If God uses the weak man and God uses the weak woman, and in and through using that weak man, using that weak woman, God's purposes are carried out, his will is carried out, and he is all the more glorified. When we do things in our own flesh, when we do things in our own strength, who's being glorified? Who is attempting to be glorified? Like Paul, we also should boast, church, in our infirmities, in our own weaknesses. And we should view weakness as a true gift. Getting to the last point, dependency upon the Lord. As Christ followers, where does our dependency truly lie? Does it lie in the efforts of our own flesh? Does it lie in our own efforts? I want to share something with you that's been a burden for me personally. It's been a burden. I believe it's a burden that's been put on my heart by God. I believe that with regard to the church in America, we are going to see times of testing, times of difficulty, times of challenge that we may have never thought that we would see unfold in our, on our lifetime. 
We're already seeing things happening in Northern, Cal- in Northern America to our neighbors up in Canada. As pastors are preaching the word of God with regard to what the Bible says in Romans 1, what the Bible says with regard to the sanctity of marriage, we're seeing things happening right now, unfolding at rapid, rapid weights. Pastors are being placed in jail for their position on this. We saw something happen at the beginning of 2020, did we not? Where there was a mandated closure of churches in California. What happens now is I believe that that was the catalyst. That was the test run, if you would. That was the preliminary round of what we will see. And what's happening now is the church in America, there is a a statistic that landed from the Christian church in Arizona, Christian college in Arizona, that now currently only 37% of pastors in all of America actually carry a biblical worldview. 37%. That's a little bit over one third. We're seeing what's happening right now is a target on the back of the church is growing larger. It's becoming more clearly defined. I don't say these things to intimidate. I don't say these things to invoke fear, but this is what's important to remember. Is that why is this happening in our culture today? The message that we preach, the message that we share is becoming more and more offensive to a Christ-rejecting culture. It's becoming more and more offensive to a Christ-rejecting world. And church, it's only going to become more and more offensive as the days grow darker. But do you remember what Jesus said in Luke chapter 6? He said, blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, when they mock you, when they curse you as evil because you follow after me. Church, we should take There's something that we have to settle within us. We have to reconcile this in our minds. And this is not because we want to be heroic. This is not because we want to be strong in our own flesh. But because of who we follow after. We follow after Christ. And we do what God has called us to do as ambassadors in continuing to proclaim the message of the gospel. Our brothers and sisters in Iraq, Iran, Afghanistan, Nigeria, China, North, North Korea, Colombia, these nations have been persecuted for a very long time. And Christians to date right now are the largest persecuted group in the entire world. We have the honor of sharing. And, but it's important to remember this, that when the rubber meets the road, back to the point, when the rubber meets the road, when it really comes down to it, it will be fairly and starkly ob- stark obvious with regard to where we have placed our dependency as a church in America. Have we placed our dependency upon our flesh, upon our programs, upon the things that are done through carnal, fleshly pursuits? Or are we dependent upon the Spirit of God to carry us through? And church, the exciting thing about this is that we have to remember that we have been given all the resources of heaven We have been given everything that we need to continue doing the work that God has called us to do, to be ambassadors, to proclaim the good news of the message of the gospel. As we get ready to close, I want to just unpack verse 16. And the Lord said to him, surely I will be with you and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. God made a promise to Gideon. 
that Gideon is one man with a platoon of 300 ragtag, unqualified dudes who probably, that were, at the, that were at the river there that had a hard time pulling water up. God would use these men to take on the nation of Midian. And just as the Lord commissioned Midian and he gave them a promise, God has commissioned us. Jesus Christ has commissioned us to do the work that he's called us to do and he has given us a promise. And what is that promise? In closing Matthew 28, 20, Jesus told us that he would be with us always. He would be with us always, even unto the end of the age. And praise God for that promise. So I want to encourage you this morning. I want to encourage the church this morning. As we look at the unqualified, we feel unqualified. We feel ill-equipped. God has given us, church, everything that we need. Everything that we need for a time such as this, for a day such as this, for a season such as this, to continue pressing forward and doing what God has done. And we can only depend upon the Spirit of God to carry us through. Let's pray, and I'll invite up the band. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this morning. I thank you, Father, for your word. I thank you, God, that we look at Scripture and it reminds us, Father, of our weakness. It reminds us of our frailties. It reminds us, God, of of our inability to do it on our own. And Father, I thank you for sending your precious son, Jesus, to go to the cross for our sin as he became a sin offering on that tree. And as your righteous wrath, holy wrath was poured out upon him, your Bible says that, your scripture says that your justice was satisfied, your wrath was appeased, and they pulled him off that cross, buried him in Joseph's tomb, and your spirit raised him from the dead. And Lord, he has ascended into heaven where he now sits at the right hand of the Father. He sits at your right hand, Father. And Lord, we thank you that when one repents and believes the message of the gospel, that they become a co-heir, a child of yours. Father, give us the strength that we need to endure. Give us the strength that we need to press on. We trust you in this season and we look forward to how you will continue to use these men and women here today for your glory and for your purposes. In your mighty, precious name, dear Jesus, amen.